Welcome to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 37. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, Daniel Gumby Reland. Gosh darn, do we thank you for listening. You, of course, can catch us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. You can head on over to the mothership, MMA-Manifesto.com, click on the podcast tab. Our archives live there. We're 37 episodes deep, and we couldn't do it without you, our listeners, or the best mouth guard maker on the market. I'm talking about Sisu Mouthguard, our sponsor. They're not only our sponsor, I was a buyer originally, before they ever sponsored us. It's the best mouth guard on the market. I'm speaking from experience. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. They're 50% thinner, 30% stronger than the average mouth guard. You're going to want to figure out what mouth guard is right for you. They got the max guard for high impact sports. And they got the junior guard for teen sports. Mom, dad, are you listening? You don't want your kids chompers out there unprotected. Get them a Sisu mouth guard. Uh, and you can thank me later. You can email the show, topturtlemma at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at topturtlemma. And uh, Gumby, you're not even mic'd up. How do they get to the Facebook page? You're going to want to head to Top Turtle MMA at Facebook. Click the like button, and you will get our parlays, props, and all kinds of other good stuff in your newsfeed. Boom. Play the music. <laughs> Are rolling Top Turtle Podcast episode thirty-seven. David Tremonti, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. So glad to have you on the train as we get going here, leaving the station. UFC Hildago took place this past weekend. Gumby, we saw Michael Johnson TKO your boy Dustin Poirier. How surprising was that to you, or was it not surprising? Uh, it was really surprising to me because while I pegged the close or the fight as a pretty close fight, you know, I did have Poirier winning uh, originally, but while I pegged it as a pretty close fight. If you're trying to draw a path to victory for Michael Johnson, nobody's picking TKO. You know, like I, I expected him to grind out a decision or or maybe even maybe submission, but like never did I expect his hands to get let go and him to knock, you know, Dustin Poirier silly. I mean, he he knocked him the hell out. Yeah, it was uh it was I guess a little surprising, you know, the last KO win uh for Michael Johnson came against Gleason Tebow. Uh, back who is, is a tough person to knock out to be fair yeah that was back in December of 2013 and then before that you'd have to go back to Danny Castillo in 2012 uh, you know I mean I, I've always liked his striking I think Diaz maybe exposed him a little bit as just being uh, a more I guess technical boxer not that Diaz has a lot of power uh, but he certainly outworked him uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, I picked Dustin Poirier to grind out a win and maybe even lock in a submission. Yeah, uh, me too. And, and, you know, just crazy for it to go down that way. So that was the main event. What do you do, though, uh, with Michael Johnson next? So my thought process right now for Michael Johnson is he could use a, a pretty big name here. Because apart from losing to Nate Diaz, I mean, he's been on a pretty impressive run uh, with Conor McGregor most likely getting Eddie Alvarez, right? That's the talk now. Conor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez, New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, and if that happens, I have no problem putting him with Habib. 
I mean, Habib Ooh. is unmatched right now. Uh, mm. You know, Michael Johnson's a guy who can wrestle the with Eagle. him for the most part. And, you know, maybe it's time to book that one and see if, you know, Michael Johnson's for real. You know who I'm picking. Uh, Always I know who you're picking when it's a Habib fight. <laughs> uh, in the co-main event, you had Derek Brunson uh, stopping Uriah Hall also in the first round. Some might say an early stoppage. What were your thoughts? I didn't actually think it was an early stoppage. I think I'm in the vast minority in that one. But when I watched it, I mean, Hall was pretty stunned. Uh, and, you know, he, he was sort of defending himself. But he wasn't rolling to get back to his feet. He was just kind of taking punches off his back. And, yeah, it might have been hitting his hands mostly. I thought he was out, and if he wasn't out, I, I thought he was getting beat anyway. So uh, while, while it might have ended a little bit earlier than people would have liked, that's a Derek Brunson win no matter what. Here's the thing with Uriah Hall. We've seen the flashes of brilliance. Uh, I think Dana White was the one who compared him as, as the next Anderson Silva when he was coming through the Ultimate Fighter show, and we've certainly seen uh, the potential in Uriah Hall, but then he has performances like this. It's one up, one down, one step forward, one step back. I just think this is what Uriah Hall is. I think he's a 50-50 fighter. He'll give us an action fight every once in a while, but it's going to be, you know, win one, lose one, win two, lose two. Yeah, I think the Anderson Silva comparison is great, only you have to do, like, Anderson Silva, like, post-title Anderson Silva. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe not turning it on when he ought to, uh, looking amazing at some points, and just awful at other points what do you do with Derek Brunson now uh I'd like a fight with Robert Whitaker to be honest with you Robert Whitaker has been running up the ranks they haven't booked him for another match yet and pretty much any other top middleweight right now is booked right you got Jock Ray's gone Weidman's gone Rockhold's gone Yoel Romero's gone uh Hendo and Bisping are booked I mean you're running out of people for Brunson after you talk about that six so, I mean, if, if you're looking for a big name after that, you certainly could run him with Robert Whitaker, who's on a very nice streak of his own. All right, very nice. And then uh, worth mentioning, Evan Dunham uh, got the unanimous decision victory over Rick Glenn and looked really good doing it. Yeah, and Rick Glenn, though, what a gamer for taking a fight on short notice, the Duke Rufus uh, prospect. You know, you, you can say what you want about Evan Dunham looking really good, but he, he also beat a guy who's never fought in the UFC before on a very short notice. So, you know, while it, it, it was impressive, he also wasn't able to put away somebody like Rick Glenn. Uh, so you got to say something about Glenn's durability for sure. And then the other performance I wanted to mention was Chaz Skelly locking in the Darce choke in 19 seconds, a featherweight record. What a slick Darce choke transitioned off a of guillotine. Uh, that was uh, subbing Maximo Blanco. What would you make of it? Put him out, out, too. Yeah, choked him cold. Uh, and, and not enough could be said for the kung fu kick at the beginning either, too. Is that a new thing in MMA? I, Two events in a row we get the kung fu. Yeah, Fabricio uh, Verdum with the... Uh, Coming out the gate strong against uh, against Travis Brown the week before. Similar similar kick. Very similar. <laughs> uh, what other performances on the night did you want to mention? You know, the, the one for me, really, of the night, uh, and, and super unrepresented because he didn't get a performance of the night bonus, was Gabriel Mogli Benitez uh, choking Sam Cecilia out cold as well. We got two chokeouts via uh, technical submission. Tagged him on the feet, looked really good in the first round, tagged him on the feet again in the second round, and got a guillotine choke. And uh, that's a pretty impressive win for for such a young guy in Benitez. Uh, I'm telling you, featherweight is becoming a loaded, loaded division Yeah, and, with it, prospects. Yeah. Yuhu Choi, him, our boy Rob Font. Is Font? Wait, no, is Font's 35. Ben, yeah, but Yair right. Rodriguez yeah, is Yair there Rodriguez. as well. So, right. I mean, there's there, there's quite a few. And even Teruto Ishihara is... Uh, 
is is won by a couple of knockouts in a row. Yeah, absolutely. I love featherweight right now. Uh, never been a more exciting time to be a featherweight. I mean, I love Brian Ortega. You got Mirsad Bektik. Uh, oh, Mirsad Bektik's got a fight coming up too. Uh, who's he fighting? Um, love the intern. Look it up. Yeah, is it but, at? Uh, it's not it. Did he get the MSG show? No, I want to say he's fighting in Belfast. Maybe I'm making that up. Uh, Maybe they don't have any Belfast fights lined up. Uh, the intern comes up with Arnold Allen, your boy. Oh, at 204. At 204. Yep, that's yeah. right. And I do like Arnold Allen, too. There's a prospect at 145. I mean, I think he's only like 22 years old. Uh, but I, I, I do think Beck takes too much. But we'll get to that when, when 204 rolls around. Yeah, but that, uh, you know, like we said, featherweight loaded. All right, let's 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 get to the news of the week, Gumby. But I want to do this in a, in a different way. I've always prided ourselves on how fast we get to news. We are unlike your mama's MMA podcast that's going to talk all day. And the hosts just want to hear themselves talk. And then it deviates into, like, fun little inside jokes and talk Probably about something about somebody's hair. Right, right. So we're just going to get real quick on this and maybe you're in your car or at work and you just want to hear the news of the week and get a quick reaction so here we go Chael Sonnen signed with Bellator Gumby give me your quick thoughts is this a game changer for Bellator not a game changer at all but a good move for Sonnen he's got to do something to stay relevant and hell I'd watch him fight Tito Ortiz on a Friday night well how could you say it's not uh, a game changer but you'd watch it I mean because I watch a fair amount of like small promotion MMA anyway I mean I I, I watched uh, a fight on the uh, the Bellator card this past weekend. I watched Joe Warren uh, choke on choke out uh, Sirwan Kakai, um, UFC vet. But uh, so I'd watch that anyway. And in any time they put a uh, you know a big two hundred five fight on, I'll watch it. Well, here's my thing. I think they actually are assembling a lineup now, though, where they could move back to pay per view. I'm not saying they'll do it in necessarily 2017, but 2018. I could see a headline show with Chael Sonnen talking butts in the seats with his pro wrestling style of promotion. Uh, Headline with Rory McDonald versus Michael Venom Page, which would be the most exciting fight they could make at 170. Throw in a Shane Carwin comeback. They're loading their lineup up right now with names. Yeah, I hear that, but here's the problem I'm worried about with them. How how closely are they following the strike force model, right? Because what you're saying right now is you're giving us a bunch of these names and you're like, well, the really beautiful thing about this is that they're putting together all these names. What did they do to get those names? They overpaid for them. We all know they overpaid for them, and that's exactly what Strike Force used to do. Remember how much money they threw at Dan Henderson? Mm-hmm. Only two years later to have to turn around and give them back to the UFC because they couldn't afford to pay all of those people anymore and had to go bankrupt and sold their company. I mean, I'm not saying this just because it's Scott Coker, but... I mean, how sustainable is this model? They have a deal with Spike TV, and and that's pretty much it. Well, I think Viacom owns a piece of them too, so they well, do have backing. Well, but that, I, I'm that, with that's you. true that uh, they have can't... backing, but but they have to be taking in money. Viacom is not just going to sit on yes. this MMA promotion if it's bleeding money, and and you have to imagine at this point in time with all the big names they have out there, they're not taking in too much, if any, at all. I don't think they're going to mount some sort of supreme, you know, assault on the UFC, but they are putting themselves in a position, and you know me, I'm a pro wrestling mark, come from a pro wrestling background, there was a war fought in the 1990s between two promotions, the WWF almost went out of business, they could counter-promote a pay-per-view of the UFCs with a really loaded TV show on Spike for free, if they wanted to, to fuck with the UFC. Yeah, I could see that happening, but the the only problem is, is I don't think Scott Coker wants to get in that war 
Because all they would have to do is piss the UFC off once. Then they put up their, like, flagpole show, right? They call their shows flagpole shows. They put up their flagpole show on a Friday night, and the UFC decides to book a killer Fox Sports 1 fight that night. And all of a sudden, there goes Bellator's flagpole show, the show that's supposed to make them all the money and get them all the views. All of a sudden, they don't have it anymore. And I kind of disagree with that. Maybe Fox, but on Fox Sports. Okay, maybe Fox. Yeah, so, so Sp- regardless Spikes of, and more homes than Fox. Yeah, uh, Fox so, Sports. So regardless of, of where it was, though, they don't want to piss the UFC off. Coker knows that. He's pissed the UFC off before and lost. Yeah. Uh, well, it'll be a war that may or may never happen. Maybe it's just a cold war. Maybe we'll actually be engaged next year. We'll move to the next topic. There is talk right now, Gumby. John Jones threw out uh, Stipe Miocic's name, uh, and Miocic, of course, responded because that would be a money fight. Now, Jones needs to get past some uh, USADA problems and probably legal problems knowing him. Uh, what do you make of that? Is that a fight we might see in 2017? I, I think that's Jones just playing right now because... Uh, Dana White said they didn't want him for a title next fight. You know, like, so if, if you're a guy who's always had the title or a title shot, you know, for how long has it been since John Jones has been in a non-title fight? I mean, it's been since 2012. Yeah, it's been a really long ass time. So your boss tells you you have to fight a non-title fight for the first time. Why not look at a different division for the title, right? That's something he needs. And in the meantime, too, I'm sure he's just trying to put his name in people's ears to stay relevant. Sort of uh, reminiscent of when Floyd Mayweather started throwing around Conor McGregor's name. Yeah, he he just needs to stay relevant while this stuff's happening because you know he's already lost loads of sponsorships. He's already lost lots of face in the UFC's eyes. He's got to stay relevant. Uh, now we move on to Ally Aquinta Regional. Uh, he was booked for UFC 205 and MSG. Uh, the fight has been pulled as of right now. He was going to sign his contract, and he decided he wouldn't because he's not making enough money. Your initial thoughts on this? So, uh, well, I will give my initial and secondary thoughts because uh, originally my issue with any fighter, professional athlete, or anything not wanting to fight out their contract or not wanting to play out the last, like, you know, take an NFL holdout, for instance. NFL wide receiver signs for six years. Somewhere around year three, he's pissed. He's not making enough money. He's going to hold out. He's not going to show up anymore. My first thought is the the team had to take a risk to sign you for six years. You could have gotten hurt and you would have made the money anyway. You have to take the risk that that's all the money you're going to make for the next six years. So my first thought was that with Iaquinta, but I guess his problem is a little bit more complex than that because his major problem is is that he feels like he's not being compensated for the fact that he lost an ass load of sponsors before he's or or uh, after he signed that deal. So he signed the deal thinking that oh this is enough money as long as I can keep pulling in my sponsors, and then Reebok happened and it, he thinks it's costing him you know fifteen to twenty k a fight. That's rough. He's at least got some basis versus some other people who are sitting out just because they want more cash. Well, and I'll add on to that, too, from from what I read right before we went to tape this. The other issue with him is that he has been banned from earning post-fight bonuses for his next three fights. Is that from the uh, you fucking boo me Yeah, it's for, so just peep this. It's for choosing training 
uh, for a fight over going to the UFC Summit. That was one. Then he broke a mini fridge in a hotel room because he trashed the hotel room. And then he cursed on TV and he was banned from earning uh, post-fight bonuses. And I thought this was, you know, I'm not really a meme guy, but this one was rather uh, good. It was from MMA underscore nerds on Instagram. And they just compared what I just listed for Ally Aquinta, banned from earning three post-fight bonuses for failing to go to a UFC summit, breaking a mini fridge and cursing. But then you look at someone like John Jones, failed multiple drug tests, <laughs> arrested multiple a times, lady. <laughs> started a brawl at a UFC event, can earn a post-fight bonus. Yeah. So, hey, I mean, listen, life ain't fair, but I do think Ally Aquinta brings up some good points. Yeah, no, and I agree he does too. Um, I, I would be interested to see in what he makes in those, you know, undisclosed locker room bonuses because, you know... To me, that's a game changer. I wish we could just get a guest on here who would just tell us what those are. Yeah. Which which they're not going to because they'll stop for him. Right, right, right. So w- let me ask you this. Do they work this out or do we have a holdout situation that lasts into the new year? I, I think he holds out for a time period, but he's got no leverage. The yeah. problem is, is his contract isn't going to expire for a couple of years of inactivity. And on top of that, the UFC could probably freeze it. They probably have some kind of you know, negotiating tactic that way. The UFC does not need Ally Aquinta. Ally Aquinta needs the UFC. Yeah, and I would also say, and we brought this up during the Aljamain Sterling contract negotiation, that uh, Matt Serra is a conduit between Dana White and that fight camp. I have, a feeling they can, I have a feeling they can work this out. Uh, we move on now. Um, this was a funny one. Your boy, Brendan Schaub, I know you love him. Ugh. Uh, says he ran into Nate Diaz at Whole Foods. And I'm going to go on a sidetrack here. I, I've constantly said the UFC needs to do a show, at least just for YouTube, called Nate Diaz Goes to Whole Foods. What? The, the uh, Brennan Schaub guest show episode. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> the fact that Schaub ran into Nate Diaz at Whole Foods, anytime you see an embedded, where is Nate Diaz if he's not training? He's at Whole Foods, okay? He is their uh, number one poster child, and you'd never think it, but it's great. It reminds me of how, like, mafia guys in uh, The Sopranos and Godfather used to hang out at, like, coffee stores and pork stores. Well, Nate Diaz is eating healthy at Whole Foods. Anyway, Brandon Schaub ran into him, and he claims that Nate Diaz said he fell to the ground on purpose in the Connor fight when he got knocked down to try to draw Connor into the ground. Are you buying or selling that? Um, I don't know. I, I would guess he probably got tagged and maybe he went down a little easier than he would have. Maybe he didn't try to catch himself so much because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's a split-second decision. I'm also going to say I'm going to call Schaub and his bullshit. He's said enough shit that I don't believe him anymore <laughs> for anything he's worth. So, um, yeah, I, I, if Connor said it, he probably went down a little easier, if at all. Um, and I, my guess is he never said it. Uh, we move on to the CM Punk buy rate. Our boy uh, Dave Meltzer is reporting. Uh, he's the preeminent authority on pay-per-view buy rates, and this would contradict the early one that came out on MMAfighting.com from another writer. Still waiting for him to write an apology. He guesstimated it somewhere in the range of 800000 but it actually— Not even close. Yeah, not even close. Uh, Anyway, it came in somewhere in maybe the the 425, 450 range, and when you do the math on what you could expect Stipe uh, versus Overeem to get on their own, this probably brought in an extra 125,000 to 225,000 buys, uh, meaning CM Punk generated revenue somewhere between 3.75 million, 6.75 million for the company, making the $500,000 base pay Punk earned uh, look like a bargain. Again, credit Dave Meltzer, credit Dave Meltzer, because we like to give credit where credit 
credit is due. Uh, what do you make of this? And does this uh, impact if CM Punk will fight on pay-per-view or for the UFC again in general? Yeah, I gave a little take on it on uh, MMA-Manifesto.com that you can read if you, you head on over there. But my, my thought process on that is, you know, if he can pull in those numbers again, it would be really impressive because obviously some of the allure is gone. Yes. But I, I think still there's a, a base out there where maybe he doesn't pull in 125 extra again, but maybe he pulls in an extra 50. And even at that point, he's still bringing in an extra $1.75 million into the, the, the fold. So even if he's making half a million dollars, he's making the company a million net profit at least in this, this game. So, you know, for the UFC, I think there is an incentive to put him back on the pay-per-view. And it would probably have to be after some time. Well, after some time, I would all, I think the, the answer here is very simple. I think they should, even though I know they could make the quick cash, you know, but many of businesses have gone down in flames by being short-sighted with trying to make money immediately. I think if they put him through the Ultimate Fighter show and put him in two-round exhibition fights and we could watch the journey, you know, for six weeks show, then put him back on pay-per-view, see how he does, give him the Kimbo treatment. You know, Dana White was the biggest hater on YouTube fighter Kimbo Slice, and when we put him through the Ultimate Fighter show, even though he did not have an impressive showing in that show, and going up against Roy Nelson in your first fight, not exactly fair, but I think it gave him some legitimacy amongst the hardcore UFC fan base, and I think putting CM Punk through the Ultimate Fighter house would do the same thing. So here's the problem. You you do give him the, the Kimbo treatment. I do believe he will get Kimboed. You know, like... No matter who you're putting in that house, if you're coaching against him, you're taking CM Punk before he gets the 11 weeks training, right? You know, you flip the coin, you see, okay, this guy picks first, this guy picks second. Whatever team CM Punk's on, as soon as that other coach gets a chance to pick, he's taking his top guy and he's taking CM Punk the fuck out because he knows he can do it. CM Punk without, you know, a couple of weeks worth of training under a good good coach in there. He's not going to well, make he's big... had two years worth. Well, of... I know he has had two years with Duke Rufus, but you know the idea that he's he's doing nothing. Well, maybe he's doing nothing but training now. Who the fuck knows? But in the long run, you know, without having like him specifically getting ready in the house with new coaches and getting a different insight and things like that, they're just going to take him out as quickly as possible. And while I do agree with you, he would have some like cred with the the hardcore MMA fans. It's not hardcore MMA fans who sold that extra 125,000 pay-per-views to. Those aren't the extra buyers. The extra buyers are guys who have no idea what they're watching. Yeah, but you also have a base in there of 300,000 hardcore UFC fans. I agree with that. And you don't want to turn them off either. But it doesn't matter. If you're going to throw them on a big-name card, those 300,000 are going to buy no matter what. But I don't know about that, though. Not if you keep running out a celebrity who's just doing a, you know, fantasy camp. But I, well, OK, so let me let me throw this theoretical at you. So say we take Cain Velasquez beats the piss out of Fabrizio Verdum uh, in at UFC 207 right before uh, the New Year's sometime around the Super Bowl card rolls around. You get uh, Stipe versus Kane for the belt. You throw a, a co-main event on there of somebody, you know, fairly decent. You know, Chris Weidman versus Jacare Souza. Not another title fight, but that. You put CM Punk as the first fight on the pay-per-view. You're still buying that. Everybody's still buying that. It doesn't turn hardcore guys away, the fact that he's on the early show, because there's still fights they're going to want to see. It's just bringing in the, the people who don't care about MMA. Yeah, I think I think you run a risk, though. I think you can't go to that well too many times. 
And I do think... Oh, I think it's a... You've got a limited time span on this, but I think the limited number is two. Well, I'll also say this. I Now, I'm playing devil's advocate on this. I think the Ultimate Fighter house is the way to go with him, but I'll tell you, and I am a hardcore fan... And I was, after the fight, like everyone else, like, yeah, you know, it's he should have gone through the amateurs. He should have done it the right way. But I'll tell you something. In retrospect, he got murked in two minutes and 14 seconds uh, via rear naked choke, right? Uh, was it by rear naked choke? Fight happened two weeks yeah, later. Yeah, 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 rear naked choke. Guess what? So did fucking Carlos Condit in a minute and 52 seconds versus Damian Maya. I don't give a fuck. Throw him out there again. It'll be five minutes of my life. Maybe he makes it a, a second round. Yeah. I don't know. And you put him in there with a guy with a, who, who's not as good as Mickey Gall. Right. Um, although we broke that down last week, there aren't a lot of guys on that UFC roster. Oh, there's that, nobody on yeah. that roster. You're going to have to bring somebody in. All right. We will transition now. We got a chance to catch up with Mark Diacasey. Did I pronounce that right? You Gumby? did. Mark Diacasey. Uh, he is making his UFC debut at UFC 204, uh, against Reza Madadi. He's a British fighter, an exciting prospect. No, very exciting prospect. The last two fights, he won both of them in knockout combined time one minute, 60 seconds for two fights. All right, so this is a fighter to keep an eye on. We got to catch up with him, and this interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting is mine and Gumby's home gym, the preeminent mixed martial arts gym in Amherst, Massachusetts. If you do no-gi submission grappling, you're going to want to come to our gym because we got a lot of killers there. Uh, head on over to AmherstMMA.com to find out more. They have a Facebook page. Uh, show up. Tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated with a hug. A kiss, a smile, and a choke. No kiss. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with Mark Diacasey, who's making his UFC debut at UFC 204. Here you go. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking with Mark Diacasey, who fights at UFC 204 against Reza Madadi on October 8th. So, Mark, we'll get right into it. Um, obviously, being from England... Uh, fighting in the British local scenes and stuff like that. Uh, it's got to be big to be fighting on a London card. And on top of that, this is headlined by the first ever British champion, Michael Bisping. Uh, what does that feel like for a, a newcomer to get to be on such a monumental card? Yeah, it feels great. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I've got a lot, a lot obviously, uh, in Manchester. And then I've had a lot, a lot of few fights there where I've had good knockouts. So... Yeah, I've I've made a decent name there, so I'm looking forward to it because everybody everybody's talking about talking about me now in UK. So I'm looking forward to show, showcasing my skills on, on a big stage. Have you noticed an uptick in interest uh, in MMA since Bisping became middleweight champion back in June? Do you feel like uh, there's a lot of momentum around British MMA right now? Yeah, I'd say so. Like. Personally, I feel like I thought I'd get signed for like uh, I'll think in next year after my knockout. Cause I was thinking I should straight straightly get signed, but I didn't. So after Michael Bisping won his, his title straight away, I had the call. So I was thinking yes, obviously thanks to Michael Bisping for doing that. So yeah. Yeah, so that almost directly thanking him there. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your style because you ca talked about a couple of knockouts. Uh, it had been two years since you had KO'd anybody, and then uh, your last two fights, just two absolutely devastating knockouts, a combined one minute in the cage time. What was the change from uh, you know, you know, missing knockouts for a little while to all of a sudden violent knockouts? Yeah, well, all it was, 
I don't I don't think I was when I went I went through I'd say I went through a bit too quick. Uh, I didn't really understand much about fighting. You know, I was just I was using my them to win fights, which was no good. So I, I didn't want to do anything stupid while learning at the same time. If you know what I mean. So just trying to get my my game together while I was in the, I was winning my fights, trying to get my game together, and then go out there and then be free, like just be, be me, and that's what I tried doing. So now, whereas I feel confident on my hands, because before I wasn't, I feel confident throwing them, and that's why I'm out there looking for them knockouts, and which you see is happening. Yeah, very interesting. And we actually, we were going to ask you that question because you debuted at only 20 years old. Uh, you know, you mentioned starting so young, uh, maybe some inexperience played into things, but how did you get, uh, I guess, mixed in to mixed martial arts at such such a young age? I don't know. Well, it started six years ago. It was just, for some reason, I just went to a gym. I didn't think I was, although it was anything to do with, like, to start fighting to be a professional and I just, I just seem to have the ability to do things. So I just carried on from since then, and just I'm now I'm in UFC. Yeah. Wow, and 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 such a, a quick turn at that too. So uh, I mean, obviously six years putting in the time, but uh, you know, at it at a very young age, you're making your debut here. And let's talk about who you're making your debut against. Uh, Reza Madadi, uh, fairly famous fighter here. He's been in the UFC for a really long time. Uh, he actually has a win over headliner Michael Johnson, who won this past weekend with a vicious knockout. Um, so, you know, yeah. how do you think you match up against Reza Madadi? And, uh, you know, when we do our previews at the uh, and the fight card in a couple of weeks, why should we pick Mark Diakisi? Uh, what it is, I've trained with Reza, actually. I've trained with him before. I mean, I've, I've been over, so I'll try and get my, much experience with Carol. I'm just trying to see what I'm at before, obviously. Being to UFC, I'm trying to see what level I'm actually fighting at, because I've I've had I've been a lot to do different gyms just to get experience or experience it myself, see where I'm at. And I feel I've got that I've got that advantage there somewhere there. And I'm an individual person, I'd say I've got certain abilities most fighters haven't got. When I was like, obviously coming up, I watched a lot of John Jones, saying things he does that I, I believe I have, and I don't think Reza Madadi is a great. Is a gritty. He's gritty. He comes forward, but I don't think he's got any technical ability where I feel he should dominate me. I feel I'm a lot stronger. I'm faster. It's going to be a good fight. Yeah, and and you certainly got a little bit of the the longer reach advantage, similar to like the John Jones style, as you mentioned. Um, so let let's kick it back to something you said back there. So you and Reza Madadi had actually done a little training back in All Stars. Um, are you of the belief that you you don't talk about things that happen in the gym when you train together, especially leading up to a fight? Yeah, it's true. I don't, I don't believe in obviously just training. You can understand your strength, but obviously it's, it's a completely different fight. It's different compared to training because training. The guy might want to give you 100%, so it's completely different. With the fight, everything is in line. So, yeah, it doesn't really mean much to me. I'm just, you know, I'm taking this very seriously because I know what I want out of this. I know if I win, what, what what's on the table for me. So I'm going out there giving my all, and I know I'm going to get it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned, or we just mentioned, All-Stars Academy a little bit. Where are you doing most of your training for uh, leading up to this fight? Uh my main team is uh, it's called ASW African Submission Wrestling. It's in Manchester. I live uh, like two hours away from the gym where I train. But 
like I traveled certain like I go boxing uh, boxing in Sheffield, whereas like an hour away from my house, then a tire boxing in Mansfield, another hour away from my house. So I just do it different places, trying to get the best that I can. Because where I live, we don't really have, you know, we don't have gyms like Americans, I'd say. <laughs> Few and far between, yeah. 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 All right. So I just travel. Well, Mark, we can't thank you enough for the time. We wish you luck against your fight, or we wish you luck in your fight against Reza Madadi. That <laughs> takes place on October 8th at UFC 204. And uh, let's try to catch up with you after the fight is over, okay? No problem. All right, Gumby, there you have it. Mark Diacase, your boy. Yeah, uh, you know, really interesting guy to talk to. Great prospect in, in a tough test in front of him with Reza Madadi, um, who is certainly no joke. Yeah, we will turn our attention now to UFC Fight Night 95. Takes place in Brazil. Uh, this is going to be on Fox Sports 1. It's headlined by Cyborg versus Lena Landsberg. Who's Lena Landsberg, you might ask? No one really knows. Uh, she doesn't even have a photo on UFC.com, so you know this is a fair fight. Cyborg, <laughs> the minus 1250 favorite. Lena Akhtar Landsberg, the plus 800 dog. Do I even have to ask? Who you got? This is going to be a lot, a murder on live TV. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit worried about Landsberg. No, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, Cyborg definitely going to win this fight. Definitely by knockout in the first round. The only thing I will say is that since Landsberg is like a Muay Thai specialist, she's got good elbows and stuff. It could force Cyborg to show us her ground game or her top game. Uh, which we haven't seen out of her in a while, but it, it would certainly be nice to see another dimension of her here. But um, as far as the gambling odds, I mean, just stay away from this fight because, I mean, it's a huge risk for no reward on uh, Cyborg there. Uh, we move on. The former bantamweight champ, Henan Barrow, now fighting at 145, will take on Felipe Nover, the Ultimate Fighter alumni. Barrow, the minus 425 favorite. Nover, the plus 375 dog. Who you got? I'm going with Barrow. Uh, you know, I, I do think he looks worse at 45 than he did at 35. Uh, Jeremy Stevens put it on him. Uh, but I don't think he looks bad enough that he would lose to Felipe Nover. To me, all Felipe Nover could possibly do to win this fight is to lay and pray, and I don't think he can get Brow down that long. A heavyweight offering of Hoy Nelson, big country, taking on Antonio Silva. Hoy Nelson, the minus 450 favorite. Uh, Bigfoot Silva, the plus 360 dog. Worth noting that Bigfoot Silva, well, let's look at the record books he's, here. He's got to He's coming in on a, oh, I don't know, 30-fight losing streak where he's <laughs> lost by TKO or KO in the very first round. Who do you have, Gumby? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with the guy with the, the giant right hand versus the guy with the giant chin. Um, yeah, Roy Nelson, knockout with his overhand right. Uh, how is, is Antonio Bigfoot Silva still in the UFC at this point, right? I don't know. You know, and, and, and Roy's got a fair bunch of losses in a row, too, but at least he's like been super exciting in those fights whereas you know it looks like bigfoot's just going in there to take a dive uh, getting the bob sap treatment very ex you want to talk about an exciting fighter you got paul felder the plus 120 dog against francisco trinaldo the minus 140 favorite who you got i'm gonna go with trinaldo here just because i think he's more well-rounded he gets the takedown here felder's in a world of hurt because masarun dumba uh has a bjj black belt and he looks damn good on the ground when he gets there um, and his striking isn't bad either. He looked really good against Anthony Medeiros. 
Eric Spicely, the plus 375 dog, taking on Tiago Santos, the minus 470 favorite. What are you thinking here? Silva's got some crazy knockout power. Spicely's got to stay away from that. And I Santos has? Yeah, not, Santos has some crazy knockout power, and I don't think Spicely stays away from it. Uh, knockout by Santos. Uh, Godofredo Pepe, the minus 145 favorite, will be taking on Mike De La Torre, the plus 125 dog. Who you got? Uh, De La is a lab guy, uh, and I love those lab guys, and, and he just has a way of, of kind of surprising you. Pepe, if, if he doesn't catch him with a sub, is going to have a tough time with De La Torre on the feet. I'm going to go with De La Torre here for the upset. Dustin Ortiz, a plus 165 favorite, taking on Juicier Formiga, the minus 190 favorite. Oh, wait, did I mess that up? Ju- Dustin Ortiz, the plus 165 dog, taking on Juicier Formiga, the minus 190 favorite. Who do you have? I think this is the livest dog of the night. Uh, Dustin Ortiz, great wrestling. Not that Juicier Formiga is not very formidable, but uh, he is certainly going to have a tough time with the wrestling of Ortiz. Uh, honey, honey, aha, hon- oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Taking on Michinori Tanaka, Bantamweight. What are you thinking? I'm actually leaning towards Tanaka on this one. As much as I love Yaya, uh, Tanaka's wrestling is far better, and Yaya's not going to sub him from his back. He needs top game. So Yaya needs a takedown here to win, or else this is going to be a Tanaka win. Yaya is going to try to say Nana to Tanaka win. Eric Silva taking on Luin Chagas. You don't know anything about Chagas. I dare you to tell us I do us a little bit. He's, really? Um, I'm pretty sure he came off of tough Latin America. I want to say he's Colombian. I could be wrong on that. He might be uh, maybe Bolivian. If he's Mexican, I'm just going to feel like an asshole. Um, but obviously we're going with Eric Silva here. Uh, is bipolar as Eric Silva's fighting career has been. Uh, he, he's Brazilian. He's Brazilian? <laughs> oh, God, I'm terrible. Chagas? Yeah, yeah I, I guess I don't know much about Luan Chagas, but uh, I, I'm going to go with Eric Silva anyway because Eric Silva, when he looks good, he looks really good. Uh, when he doesn't, he doesn't. But we'll say he looks good tonight. All the aforementioned fights were on Fox Sports 1. Uh, UFC Fight Pass, the prelims, are headlined by a favorite fighter of mine, Stevie Ray, uh, returning after a long layoff versus Alan Patrick. Alan Patrick is definitely a tough out for him because he's so physically strong. But with Stevie Ray's gas tank the way it is and his KO power, I'm going with Stevie Ray all day because I think he's such a good prospect at 55. Vicente Luke versus Hector Urbina at welterweight. Who you got? I like Luke. Uh, He came off of that uh, Black Zillions ATT show. uh, And he's got formidable wrestling and decent stand-up. And I I think maybe a, a submission here for Luke. Giaco Franca versus Gregor Gillespie. I dare you to tell us something about these two lightweights kicking off the entire card. I like Gillespie, the prospect out of New York, uh, your, your hometown there. Uh, you know, he's, he's a well-rounded kind of guy. Uh, I like his hands. I think probably knockout here. This is a knockout-heavy card. You can expect a ton of knockouts here. So you basically just guaranteed a night of decisions. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the first uh, live UFC fights I ever went to, there were zero total knockouts. Which card was uh, that? UFC 118, BJ Penn versus Frankie Edgar 2. Oh, yeah. And there were zero total knockouts, and I want to say only like three submissions. Was that in Philly? No, it was in uh, Boston. Oh, it was in Boston. It was a Boston card. Yeah, I know uh, 
I know Diaz got a submission over Marcus Davis and Joe Lozon got a that submission. That was a badass fight, my man. Yeah, that was a the, one of the greatest fights I've ever been at was that one right there. Uh, you know, he choked him out and uh, blood everywhere. You know, just a freaking awesome fight. If you haven't seen that fight, go back and watch it. Uh, this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA. We can't thank you enough for joining us. We'll be back next week to react to Cyborg murdering someone on live TV, and we'll have a bunch <laughs> of other <laughs> and we'll have a bunch of other good stuff as well. David Tremonti for Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Thank you so much. We'll choke you later. <laughs>